Never underestimate the power of something small to make a very big impact. Inside every one of your cells, there's a tiny little uh, chemical called DNA. I know you guys have heard this before. And inside that tiny little chemical, DNA, contains instructions for you. Every single thing that your body does from conception until death is written in that little molecule, DNA. Every funny little mole that grew, every freckle that you have, uh, how to build a spleen is in that DNA. I don't know how that works. Did you know that if you uh, unraveled DNA, it's like miles and miles long inside every one of your cells? I don't know how that works. But when it's all folded up right, it's 2.5 nanometers. It's tiny. But it directs everything about you. The ocean has this little animal called krill. You ever heard of krill before? They're little tiny things, one or two centimeters at the most. And yet somehow they are the main food source for our planet's biggest animal, the blue whale. Isn't that ironic? I think that's weird. I, how many do they have to eat to make it, right? Of the, why wouldn't we give them the second biggest animal as their food stores? But instead, God gave them uh, the tiniest animal as their food stores. And if the krill population is harmed or decreases, or for whatever reason there aren't enough krill to go around, blue whales suffer and die because this tiny little animal uh, isn't around for them to eat. You ever been camping before? What happens when a mosquito gets inside your tent? The tiniest little creature drives you insane, doesn't it? When that happens in my tent, I hear this other noise that's like, Brian, Brian, there's a mosquito in the tent, Brian. You guys ever heard a noise like that? That's what my tent sounds like. (laughs) These are all goofy examples of what I think is a really important idea for us to remember this morning, especially for those of us who are followers of Jesus. Even though we are small, we can make a big impact on the world around us. So we're following Jesus around on the map uh, through this sermon series. We're kind of literally taking a look at all the places that he stopped while he was with us here on earth. We started in Bethlehem, then we went to Egypt, then we went to Nazareth, Last week, Jesus was in the Judean wilderness. That's kind of a nebulous location on the map. And that spot, that's where Jesus faced some real temptation from the devil uh, to kind of, you know, corrupt Jesus. And he was able to resist uh, at points A, B, and C. Uh, Didn't fall for any of it. This morning, the spot on the map is actually a triangle on the map, a little uh, less nebulous than uh, the wilderness. So here in Rockford, Illinois, we are far away from the Middle East, right? Like, it is tempting for me when I'm reading the Bible to read these place names and my, you know, you're, you just kind of glaze over and the Sea of Galilee, okay, you know, like, I don't really, I guess it's a sea. I don't know what it is. I couldn't find it unless, you know, I searched for it for a really long time. Uh, Rock Cut State Park, oh, sure, I know exactly where that is because I'm familiar with it. I go there, but the Sea of Galilee, Capernaum, all of these places, they just kind of, they sound like static in our minds sometimes. And I think sometimes it's good for us to open our Bibles to the map section and look at where, uh, where we are. So that triangle that you see up on the screen, is it up there? Did we fix it? Oh, there it is. Okay. 
So that's a tiny little triangle of biblical places. And inside that triangle is where Jesus did 80% of his ministry while he was here on earth. 80% of the time that he was with us, he was inside that tiny little triangle. And guys, that map is zoomed way in. Like if I were to put like zoom way out, you wouldn't even see the triangle anymore. I had to zoom way in in order to get to the triangle. But 80% of the time that he was with us, he was right there, just north of the Sea of Galilee. 11 out of the 12 disciples were from that triangle. They were all in one little spot in honestly kind of an unknown spot on the globe. It wasn't, you guys have heard the saying like all roads lead to Rome, right? That was a way of saying that Rome was super important and literally all, Rome's, all roads headed to that city. And so you can imagine like, you know, people were coming and going. It was easy for news to spread from Rome uh, because people were coming and going all the time. And you would think that would be a great place for Jesus to show up, but he didn't. He went there. Oh, wait, it's gone. He went to that circle that you saw just a second ago. I think that's so interesting. That would be like Jesus showing up in McChesney Park or, I don't know, Byron. Like, why would he go there? There's not a lot there. You know what I'm saying? Why wouldn't you pick a big town where the news can spread? Rockford is a metropolis compared to the, some of the places we're going to talk about today. So why is that? Why did God choose to you know, send something so large, like the arrival of his son, to a tiny little place, a place that was so incredibly small? I want to read a passage uh, that comes from the Gospel of Luke this morning. It would be good if you could uh, open up there as well. Luke chapter 4 is what I'm going to be reading out of. And the passage that we are going to read this morning comes immediately after the passage that we read last week. So Jesus was tempted by Satan three times. Jesus resists all three times. And when he, uh, after the devil leaves, angels come attend to him. And then we get to this very passage that comes here. Luke chapter 431 is where we're going to be. Then he went down to Capernaum, a town in Galilee, And on the Sabbath, he taught the people. They were amazed at his teaching because his words had authority. In the synagogue, there was a man possessed by a demon, an impure spirit. He cried out at the top of this voice, Go away! What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Come out of him. Then the demon threw the man down before them all and came out without injuring him. All the people were amazed and said to each other, What words these are! With authority and power he gives orders to impure spirits, and they come out. And the news about him spread throughout the surrounding area. Jesus left the synagogue and went to the home of Simon. Now Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever, and they asked Jesus to help her. So he bent over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. She got up at once and began to wait on them. At sunset, the people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sickness, and laying his hands on each one, he healed them. Moreover, demons came out of many people, shouting, You are the Son of God! But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak, because they knew he was the Messiah. At daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. The people were looking for him, and when they came to where he was, they tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also, 
because that is why I was sent. And he kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea. Jesus goes to Capernaum. That was one of the cities that's the point of the little red triangle. And he goes to the synagogue. And the people are amazed at his teaching. Uh, who is this guy? How, is he from around here? Like, how is he teaching like he knows this stuff so well with such authority? And for whatever reason, a demon-possessed guy is present in the synagogue meeting this mor- that morning and um, shouts, I know who you are. You're the Holy One of God. The demon knows who Jesus is. Isn't that weird? Jesus rebukes the demon, tells him to hush, get out of the man, and everyone is amazed about Jesus, and news about Jesus spread. Now, how did news about Jesus spread? Well, the fastest it could have spread was however fast the fastest guy can run, right? There's no Twitter. Nobody took an Instagram of Jesus on, you know, preaching in the synagogue or rebuking the demon. The news could only travel as fast as a person can run. Not very fast. Keep going. Jesus leaves the synagogue. He heads to Peter's house, Peter the apostle. Simon's mother-in-law, or Simon Peter's mother-in-law was sick, and he takes care of that. And then look at verse 40 again. At sunset, the people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sickness. And laying hands on each one, he healed them. Moreover, demons came out of many people, shouting, You are the Son of God, but he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak, because they knew that he was the Messiah. That's how the next few chapters go. Jesus goes to this little town, he goes to a synagogue, he heals, he rebukes demons, and then he moves on. It's almost, I don't know, I don't know if I want to use this word, but mundane, like he just, this is what he does day after day after day after day after day. He tells people, shh, don't tell that I'm the Messiah. He just quietly ministers. And whenever he's given the chance, whenever somebody figures out, I think you might be the Messiah, he tells them to be quiet. Which is the opposite of what you would think he would do, isn't it? Why wouldn't Jesus want it shouted from the rooftops that he's here and he's here to save all of mankind? That's, that's a good thing for people to talk about, isn't it? I guess I could kind of understand not wanting the demon to be your PR rep, right? That seems like it makes sense. Not, it is interesting that the demons knew exactly who he was, but he doesn't want the demons telling everybody else who he was. But he also tells people, hey, don't tell anybody that I'm here yet. I guess it's just not time yet. One of the biggest conflicts that he had with the Pharisees is they didn't know that, who he was. They didn't know that he was the Messiah and then he came. But somehow the demons did. I could preach a lot on that subject right there. That's very interesting to me. So Jesus starts his ministry very, very small. He kept things as quiet as they could be. He stays put geographically. He doesn't move around a ton. He's not going on great big trips. He's hanging out in the tiny little red triangle. And the focus on, of his ministry at that time was 12 guys. Just 12. He spent all of his time with them. Anytime he wasn't in public or anytime he wasn't off alone on a little spiritual retreat, he was with these 12 apostles, teaching them, hanging out with them, giving them opportunities to minister. 
That was his main focus. While the ministry stayed quiet, at the very beginning, he focused on 12 guys that followed him around. I think that he knew, well, obviously he knew, that after his death, this whole thing was on their shoulders, wasn't it? Everything. He was leaving the ministry in their hands once he was gone. So thank you all for coming to Bible Geography 101 this morning. I appreciate it. Now we know about the little red triangle of Jesus' ministry. Why are we talking about geography this morning? You all know about the Great Commission, right? If you flip forward in the book, very end of the book of Matthew, right before Jesus goes up into heaven after his resurrection, he gives the disciples a command that we have given the title, the Great Commission. He was speaking to his disciples, but he speaks to us as well. And we have been asked to go and make disciples of all nations. Every country on the earth is supposed to have disciples because we did that. And we're supposed to baptize them in the name of the Father, and we're supposed to teach them to obey Jesus' commands. And a lot of people hear that command and think, ah, that's too hard. That's way too big. How am I, little old Brian Rodert, supposed to tell all nations about Jesus? I can't even find all nations on a map. How am I supposed to tell all nations about Jesus? There's no way I could do it. Do you guys ever feel that way? The, the job is too big for me, so therefore I'm exempt from accomplishing the task. You ever feel that way? We read that verse and we think, of course, Brian Rodert is going to encourage everyone in the room to go be a missionary. Of course he is. That's what he does, right? But he's not talking to me. There's no way. I'm still working. I have kids at home. I'm old. I don't travel. I'm allergic to, I don't know, mosquitoes or whatever. That's what we think when we read passages like that. We think that all nations means that we individually have to go somewhere far away. So it can't possibly refer to me. Most of us aren't really that much different than Jesus. That's not true. Some of you all are very different than Jesus. I'm just kidding. Most of us aren't really all that different from Jesus. Like, we tend to stay put. We don't go a lot of places. We don't travel. We don't, our little red circle is probably about as big as Jesus. Like, think about the circles that you go to. I mean, sure, there's the occasional vacation or trip to see family, but our area of influence, the people that we see on a day-to-day basis, isn't much bigger than Jesus' little red triangle. Some of us travel for work, but for big chunks of time, we are planted in the same place at the end of the day, day after day after day. The people that we come into contact with, we could probably list them if we needed to. Like, say someone gave you a sheet of paper with 100 blanks on it. You could fill it up with 100 people that you know. And those are the people that you come into contact with day after day. We probably have a lot of acquaintances, you know, somebody that you run into. You might have to struggle to remember their name. You probably have a few friends, very few good friends that you talk to a lot. The spot on the map where we spend 80% of our time is probably a lot like Jesus's. Most of us are not influential. People don't recognize us on the street. Some of us aren't even that good looking, right? We are just normal people. 
I had a teammate once. This is when we lived overseas. His name was Jason. I called him and I told him I was going to tell a story about him today. I met Jason just after college, and he was super popular in college. My, the school I went to was pretty small. Most people knew who he was. He was the son of missionaries, and he was preparing to go be a missionary, so everybody knew who Jason was. He was super cool. Uh, he's actually the reason why we ended up moving overseas. He is the one that asked me in a dirty Italian hostel if I would bring my family uh, to Italy full-time. It's a true story. He is the opposite of me in almost every way I can think of. He is the life of the party. He's friends with everybody. He's never met a stranger. Jason dreams big dreams for God, impossible dreams that leave the people around him going, what? How, are we, how is that going to happen? Jason thinks on a level that I am just not good at. That is not who I am. I, my feet are on the ground. And then I found myself working on a team with Jason, right? Now I am his peer. I have to be a church planner just like Jason, I have to become the life of the party. I have to be friends with everybody. I have to dream big dreams. My job is the same as his job, so we have to start a new church in this little city. So me, being the genius that I am, I figure that my, if I'm going to do a good job of it, then I just have to be like Jason, right? I have to be the life of the party. Now, for a little bit, most of us could fake it, Right? Like, we could pretend like that's who we are, but eventually that's going to catch up to you. And you're going to realize, oh, this stinks. I'm not Jason. I don't want to be Jason. And it's too hard for me even if I did want to be Jason. And when that point came to me, I panicked. I thought, how am I going to be a church planter? How am I supposed to tell people about Jesus if I'm kind of weird at a party and want to be the first one to leave and... You know, don't really dream big dreams a lot. And I get kind of nervous and anxious sometimes. Like, what am I doing here on a team with this guy, right? You know, it sounds funny to say it now. Uh, now I know Jason really well, and he's just a normal dude, right? He doesn't have, you know, superhuman gifts to be a church planner, just like I don't. Extroverts who have tons and tons of friends and love social gatherings. That's who Jesus was talking about when he said, go and make disciples, right? Just them. What can God do with little old me, little old us? What, what role could we possibly have in reaching the nations for Jesus? I think it's important for all of us to quit looking around at what other people are capable of and focus on what we are, a, are capable of in God's kingdom. Think about your little red triangle, the map that you travel in. Not physically the map, but the people that you come into contact with. Who is it? I'm in the room with a bunch of normal, everyday, average people, aren't I? We go to work, maybe we're tired, some of us go to school... We've got families, our families are normal, everyday, average people. No one, I was out in the lobby, no one was escorted in the building by a security detail this morning. There are no paparazzi waiting for us to leave to take pictures of us getting into our cars when we're done here. 
The disciples were the same way. They were normal people. They had jobs. They had families. One guy was a tax collector working for the Romans. One guy was kind of like Guido. He was the bouncer of the disciples. He was a zealot and persecuted the church. They must have had fun conversations together with him. But these guys were totally normal. And Jesus spent a ton of very focused time with those totally normal guys. And in a very short amount of time, he had those guys ready to take over the world. The book of Acts, so fast forward a little bit, this is the beginning of the church. And the book of Acts describes what these guys did after the resurrection. One time after they healed a man, they, uh, the people that watched kind of launched an accusation at the, at the disciples. And here's what they said. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and took note that these men had been with Jesus. Unschooled, ordinary men. Does that kind of sound like us? I mean, I'm not trying to be offensive, and I'm not saying we're all a bunch of dummies, but we're just normal people. But the difference in the disciples is that at the very end of that verse, they were unschooled, ordinary men, but they took note that these men had been with Jesus. I think Kids Hope is a really good example of this. You guys know that uh, Central, goes and, uh, Central people go and spend time with one kid for one hour, one day a week. And I think that in my entire seven years of mentoring, uh, I've done like one or two actual like school lessons. Most of these kids don't need school lessons. They need how to be a friend lesson, or they need a, I need a buddy lesson, or they need a here's, remember, you know, how not to get in a fight during class lessons. It's almost all about building a mentoring relationship with a kid. And I'm just an unschooled, ordinary guy trying to do something that can have a huge impact on exactly one kid. I'm just normal. You're just normal. These kids just need normal people in their lives. The car show is coming up in less than a month. Less than a month, Scott. Woo boy. I'm going to be a greeter that day, which means I'm going to get all my steps in that day, circling the parking lot over and over and over again, talking to people, shaking hands, offering to pray with people that have a need, letting them know that Central is here for them if they ever want to join us. I'm just a regular guy. I know nothing about cars, literally nothing. But my prayer is that God is going to show me someone like, ah, light right before them. And when he shows me somebody that I'm going to be brave and courageous and I'm going to go have a conversation with that person and ask them what I can do for them or what their relationship with God is like. That's just a small thing, guys. It's not huge. It's something that an unschooled, ordinary guy like myself can handle. But do you think it can have a big impact on the people who are there? Yes. I'm going to be very frank with you all. Just after Disciple Hour, I'm going to have a meeting with Scott Nelson and the rest of the car show committee. This week has been tough because we have had the conversation. Do we have enough, enough volunteers to have a car show this year? Like We are on the verge of not having it because there just aren't enough people signed up to help. And I'm telling you what, if I can do it as an unschooled, ordinary guy who knows nothing about cars, I promise you that there is a spot for you on the car show crew. 
This is the absolute last week. After this meeting, we're going to decide whether or not we can handle it or whether or not things have to be changed or tweaked to work with the volunteers that we have. I want to see it go, and I want to see your name on the piece of paper after the service. If you're an accountant, anybody accountants in here? Here's what you can do. Here's how you can impact your little red circle. You can be the best accountant that there ever was. You can use your impact in crunching numbers to the glory of God. Absolutely. If you're just a normal accountant, using your influence in your little red triangle as best you can. Maybe you work in construction. Maybe you're a foreman. Maybe you're a plumber. I don't know what your job is. You serve your coworkers. You serve your boss. And you point people to Jesus with an honest day's work. That's how we use our little red triangle for Jesus. As an ordinary person, we, uh, we all pray that uh, we can impact whatever the area is where we have influence. It might not be big. It might be smaller than Jesus' little red triangle. But to the people that are inside your triangle, it can make an eternal difference. Literally, you could change someone's eternity because you decided to take seriously your little red triangle. We've got a problem in churches all over the place where we tend to elevate leaders and assume that because they seem to have an impact, they're the people that we put on the stage, well, we just funnel people to them, right? They're the ones that have the, all the answers. It's true. I certainly do, right, honey? not true at all. I'm tempted to look at somebody with some preacher with a fancy Instagram page that has these, you know, amazing quotes that they put online, and I'm tempted to think, man, I'll, I'll never be like that guy, right? Like, just little old me. I'm Mr. Tumnus, you know, no big deal at all. Just hanging out. I'll never be like the guys that are up on that stage, And so I want to slink off into the background and assume that God would rather spend time with them. After all, they're doing the most for his kingdom, right? Hey, let's look at the elders of this church. Some of those guys have been leading Central longer than I have been alive, right? They have been around for a long time. And it's probably a good idea just to leave ministry to them because I don't want to mess it up, right? Like, what do I know compared to those guys? Sure, he can preach a great sermon, That guy's super smart. You know, we stream his sermons to the whole universe every single week. We should probably leave the heavy thinking to him, right? Because he's pretty good at it. There's a problem with this kind of thinking that we are all guilty of. I have people in my little little red triangle that you do not have. You don't even know them. You don't even know their names. And you have people in your little red triangle that I don't know, and I'll never know them. How weird would it be for you to delegate me to go and talk to someone in your triangle that I've never met? And how odd would it be for me to ask you to go and talk to my friend that you've never met and tell them about Jesus? Guys, the gospel is spread because every single person says, I'm going to take the gospel seriously, and I'm going to take it exactly where God sends me. Not Uzbekistan. He didn't send me there. He sent me to my house. He sent me to my work. He sent me to my neighborhood. 
He sent me to the grocery store that I always go to. He sent me to the bike path where I always walk. That's my circle, and I'm going to spread the gospel there. Not other places, not big places. The nations are you and the people around you. The gospel is spread when we take a look at the people that God has put in our lives and we say, who needs to hear about Jesus? Who is living their life completely outside of the gospel and needs help and needs to know what what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? We need to stop putting smart and good-looking, super smart people on a pedestal and realize that our little red triangle has plenty of people in it. Do you know someone in your little red triangle that needs Jesus? Do you have one person that you know God has been telling you, talk to that person? Who is that person? Go and do it. Jesus changed the world inside that triangle. Completely changed it. Especially for the disciples and the women that followed him around and helped him do ministry. Boy, their lives were different, wasn't, weren't they? Their lives were so changed that they said, from here on out, all we're going to do is tell people about Jesus. We have a message to share, and we want to do it now. Guys, let's not wait to do the same thing in our circle of influence. Let's not wait for us to arrive at some spiritual level and think, now we're qualified to open our mouths. Everyone, you are qualified right now to share exactly what you know. You don't have to worry about sharing like Sherm would share. You don't have to worry about sharing the things that Tom Bailey would share. You have to worry about sharing the things that God places on your heart to the people that he has placed in your life. You with me, church? Do churches grow when, ch- when churches take that kind of stuff seriously? Yes. Does God's kingdom get bigger when churches take that kind of stuff seriously? Is it scary? Yes. Do we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us? Is he going to tell you what to say when you need to say it? Yes. Is he going to drop courage on you that you know you didn't have before? Say yes louder. Thank you. You better believe he's going to church. And I tell you what, I spent spent a lot of time being nervous about what people are going to think. I spent a lot of time thinking that I'm not qualified to do the things that I know God is asking me to do. To open my mouth when he asked me to open my mouth. Are you guys with me? Are you like me? Let's do something different. Thank you, Father, for this church. I thank you for this, oh, this message of, I, I just can't believe how small on the map that triangle is. Of where Jesus spent the vast majority of his time when he was with us. But man, for the people in that triangle, for the disciples, for... Uh, the tiny little towns that were all over the map where he went, boy, it made a world of difference. God, I know you've placed us in certain spots. You have placed us in, in places where other people are not. And you are waiting for us to tell the good news about your son, to let people know that there is forgiveness, to let people know that we can live our lives differently than the way of the world around us to offer people grace, God, it's a beautiful thing and something that um, I need to be more courageous about and that we need to be braver about. God, we thank you very much for uh, loving us 
Thank you for this partnership that you have with us where you have decided to spread good news about your son through our voices and our acts of service and our love for the people around us. God, we are honored and humbled to be in that position. We pray all this in your son Jesus' name. Amen.